Hey, y'all. This is Monica offering you today another best of episode as I continue to be a bit out of pocket. If you're a fan, you will know that my mother has been in declining health for a while now, and she has finally gone to claim her just rewards above. She will be missed not only by me, but by many listeners and friends. And many of you have actually reached out and are praying for her and for me and my family. And it has been really touching and very comforting. So I appreciate that. And actually, a crazy thing happened. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't obviously post it or whatever. But I got an email on a Saturday that said, on Thursday... My, your mother touched my heart, so I had to stop and pray for her, but I was worried that something bad had happened, and then I realized that your mother's, that you had mentioned that her birthday was on Thursday, but when I look at the calendar, I think maybe I was a week late for her birthday. That was from Stuart, and I have to say, my mother did die on a Thursday, the week after her birthday, so I feel like she reached out. I know it's crazy, it's just one of those synchros. And then Stuart told people in the Discord group, and that's when folks started praying. And I, I know it sounds crazy, but I think there's a chance that that was my mother's way of reaching out so that, you know, that kind of circle of prayer could start. It was just, it was just synchro. It's just crazy. And I, I mean, I have it in writing. <laughs> it's not my imagination. So anyway, but if you have not gotten that message personally <laughs> from my mom, feel free, please, to... Pray honestly for her or to her, because in my vision for her, she has joined the angels and saints, and it's very comforting and joyful, even though, obviously, it's a very hard time. So I am going to take a little bit of time off, not too much, a week or two, and uh, in the meanwhile, I'm going to continue my really excellent best of series where I just went back. I mean, I've done like thousands of shows over 10 or 12 years or more, maybe 13. So there are some really good little gems that some of the newer listeners might not have heard. And today is definitely one of those. It is one of those interviews where I actually got a little thrill out of it, a little bit of nerves. And uh, if you know the guest, James Dellingpole, you will know why and you'll be excited to hear this. And if you don't know him, well, you are really in for a treat. So I hope you enjoy the show and the series. And thank you all very much for everything. This is Monica Perez, and to my delight, our guest today, an English author, journalist, and really the host of, in his own words, probably the best podcast in the world. <laughs> I was so excited when he accepted my invitation to be here. Welcome, James Dellingpole, host of The Delling Pod. Uh, thank you, Monica. Y yes, you got a taste of my English understatement and modesty there in my description of my podcast. But it's pretty I good. love your sense of humor. Yes, I know. Sometimes that is lost on the American audience, but I just adore it. And you know what else I love? I love your um, really effective use of vulgarity. So I'm like in the no vulgarity or I'm just a sailor. But you, I was listening to you and Simon Goddack, and you were both like, it was great because you would drop the F-bomb, but then every other word wasn't fuck. Like it was only when it was really necessary for emphasis. And I just think that's an art. 
Yeah, it's well. Look, I I do admit that I I swear sometimes without even noticing it, and I do worry that maybe this is a barrier for some uh, audiences. For example, Americans. I know they vary greatly. Some of them really think swearing is a no no, and some of them they swear like you know troopers. Well, I had a an experience where I used to be on the radio, radio, the terrestrial radio. You can't use vulgarity yeah. at all. And I had a lot of listeners who followed me over to my podcast. And one of them asked if I could not use vulgarity in the main show. I have like subscriber show and then I have main show because he wanted to cha- share it with people in his church or teenagers. Yeah. So we just stopped using vulgarity for the most part in the free show. And then we just, uh, we have at it in the after, but, but it's really, it's, uh, it's like art. <laughs> the way you do I, tell you what, I wouldn't hesitate. I, I tell you what, the only thing that makes me feel, feel guilty and that is when I get emails from people saying, um, look, would you mind turning down the swearing? Because I listen to the podcast in the car yeah. with my kids. Yeah. And and my kids are real fans of yours, but yeah. it's really, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get in the way of red pulling the youth. I think it is absolutely hopeless in this country. If these people think that TikTok isn't full of soft porn for teenage girls and they're worried about you and the F-bomb, then they need to realize that that is not that's not the danger. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, so anyway, I I feel unrestrained. But okay, so I love your show and I, I don't like to listen to a lot of podcasts, especially the really good ones, because... I'm afraid that it will answer, like I'll stop like thinking about things because someone's already answered it. Or if I come up with the same answer, I feel like I'm ripping them off. But your shows are so entertaining and informative that I really enjoy them. And we do share some audience members who encourage me to invite you on, but not but not everybody has heard of you or your show. And so they don't know your story. And I wondered if you could just, if you wouldn't mind recapping a little bit about how you had this awakening over the past couple of years, kind of what and how your life changed because of it and how your worldview changed because of it. Sure. Well, I, I I had a very um, traditional establishment, um, background and upbringing in that, you know, I went to private school and then I went to Oxford University and I was there with a lot of people who went on to become politicians. You know, I was friends with two prime ministers, the, the current one, Boris Johnson, and the, and a, a previous one, a guy called David Cameron, who you probably haven't even, <laughs> don't even remember now. Um, and after that, I went into journalism and for about 20, 25 years, I was pretty well-established mainstream media journalist. I had a, a job for about 10 years at the Daily Telegraph, um, a column in the, the Spectator, which is our sort of most prestigious conservative journal. Um, I used to appear on on the BBC and, and, and stuff like that. And I was very much stuck in that in that paradigm, you know, I, I I believed everything that 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 I well most of the stuff I read in the newspapers. I thought that it was written in in good faith. I suppose that I started the first time I really started questioning the official narrative was when I started looking into the environmental movement. I wrote this book about ten just over ten years ago called Watermelons. 
uh, which is green on the outside, red on the inside. And it was, <laughs> I, it was, it was when you, so all the papers were talk, were, were, were talking nonstop about how uh, we had, you know, so many months left to save the planet and the polar bears were all about to float off on ice flows. And it, Al Gore had made that propaganda movie, An Inconvenient Truth. And I remember there was a time actually, you've probably been past it that 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 place in california where i think it was one of the first places to put up wind turbines there was these hills either side of the freeway well Um, there there are tons of them between la and like i go out to the desert a lot and it's really gross i hate it it is it's it's really horrible if you actually love if you if you love nature yes. as much as I do, and I really like like being in the outdoors. I love wild swimming. I I I, lo- I love walking. I love riding horses. If you really love nature and, and safaris in Africa and stuff, then you cannot love the green movement, the environmental movement, because they are about destroying nature. You think about, for example, I don't know you saw that 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 movie about how they. They they picked up all those um, those tortoises in in the desert. Uh, was it the Sonoran Desert? I think to clear them out of the way so they could put these horrible um, solar solar farms there. Yeah. Um, they put out anyway. I remember Hawaii they, has it too. It really breaks my heart. Oh, Hawaii, really, so, so freaking beautiful. <laughs> it's it, it's so sad. So many years ago, I remember traveling, going on a road trip through California and seeing these these slightly sinister things on the hills. And I I, I, I call them bat-chomping, bird-slicing eco-crucifixes because that's basically what they are. They're, they're not about generating um, energy, not really. They're about, they're a symbol of dominance by the environmental movement. They're, they're like, they're parking their tanks on your lawn and, and, and saying to you, we are the masters now. You can forget about your, your cheap, affordable energy, energy that works. We want to impose this really expensive energy, which actually doesn't do anything for the environment, but does generate massive profits for the subsidized, the taxpayer subsidized owners of these monstrosities. So anyway, that, that sort of kindled my interest in the environmental movement, which was getting bigger and bigger. And I was thinking, well, hang on a second, why, why are they doing this stuff? So I, I researched this book called Watermelons, and it became clear to me very early on that the the green movement was was selling us a false prospectus they claimed to be about saving the environment but as we've seen they ended up destroying it cutting down forests to 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 build you know wind wind turbines and and solar farms and things uh i mean there's a terrible example uh in the uk right now we actually we have this power plant where we import wood chips from American forests. So like these American forests, you know, full of birds and wildlife and stuff are chopped down to burn in this, in this power station called Drax. I mean, it's even sounds- And they're shipped over. I mean- They're shipped across the Atlantic. I was always amazed that environmentalists were for any kind of subsidized roads or infrastructure that just, that takes the the cost feedback mechanism out of transportation. That they care so much about the environment that they chop down trees and ship them across the Atlantic at, at heaven knows what what expense <laughs> Burning to <cold>. <laughs> burn to burn. I mean, the, one of the reasons we had in the, the industrial revolution in the UK 
was because we because of fossil fuels we discovered that they're they're energy in, in intensive you can create that you, you can fuel an industrial economy you can't do that with chopping down trees and, and burning it's them like up. god's was, gift to man like it's amazing it's like gold it's like it, wow good thinking god yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly but, whereas but trees it, not so much so is there a, a geopolitical element to why they want to get rid of the fossil fuels Oh well, 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 we'll, we'll come to this. So, okay. so, so, so yeah, so I started, I started looking into this, and I realized, a, okay, a these environmentalists actually hate the environment, and b none of their claims stands up. The, you know, the polar bears, far from being a threatened species, are actually growing exponentially. Yikes. Um, you know, the, <laughs> like in the last sixty years, the the, the polar bear population has increased fivefold. Um, the glaciers aren't all, all, all melting. Some of some of them are increasing in size. Um, the Pacific islands are not drowning beneath the waves because if they were, places um, like the Maldives would not be building loads of new airports for that for the for the tourists. And so, all this stuff, all the stories you see repeated endlessly in the newspapers all the litany of scare stories are a massive lie so then you start asking yourself well why do these why would they lie to us why would politicians be be claiming that this is the most urgent pressing threat of our time and why would all these scientists be, be i mean scientists wouldn't lie what what possible motivation would a, would a scientist have to <laughs> to make make stuff up, make shit up, <laughs> and and gradually you realise that that there is this whole industry out there which is dedicated to lying to the public in order to advance policy which is deleterious to the interests of almost everyone apart from the handful of rent seeking scumbags who profit at the expense of everyone else by but through the subsidies which are paid for their crappy um, unreliable energy and so you think well this makes no sense. Why would the newspapers not be reporting on this? I mean, surely isn't the point about being a journalist that you're a seeker after truth? You know, what, what, you, 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 you seek after the truth and you go with wherever the story takes you, even if it takes you into uncomfortable places. And politicians, I mean, surely they wouldn't betray their electorates in this way by doing stuff that was really bad for them. <laughs> and surely scientists are motivated also, like journalists, by the quest of the truth. I realized that none of this stuff was was actually the case that actually you've got this massive industry of lies i mean it i'd say it wasn't until covid came along the world's biggest scientific scandal the biggest the biggest lie i mean global warming is just just bullshit it's the man-made global warming that it, it it's it's just a made up it's a made up thing there is no evidence at all to support this this idea that man is catastrophically and unprecedentedly warming the planet to the point where we have to intervene to save it it's absolute Still, bullshit because i i totally agree with you and when i see climate change it's basically because they spray shit in the air above my house which yeah. drives me crazy and changes the weather in real time yeah, but sure. it does feel like there are periods of extreme heat which it was in the second book on the fourth industrial revolution it did say if you mess with those chemtrails it literally said that you can have like spiking temperatures for periods so do you think it's manipulated at all only because i think people will wonder it does like there's a lot of press that says this is the hottest ever and then there's a lot of press that says this is the coldest ever and then they'll say that's a rebound a, a rebound effect and yada yada 
Well, you think about it. You think about this somewhere, somewhere at, at any given time, somewhere in the world, a weather record is being broken. You're always going to get record freezing here, record uh, heating right. in, in there. Because there are the almost nature, an infinite number of data points. It's what weather does. So they will always have an endless source of uh, apparently factual stories to to justify their hysterical claims. Right, but it's but it's anecdotal. Yeah, it's, well, it's anecdotal. episodic. And also, you know, it's also it's 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 not helped by the fact that we we only live a certain length of time. So, yes. so everyone's got yes. everyone everyone knows that this is I the know. coldest weather they've ever. Yeah. People who live through yeah, you know, people for example who live through the winter of 43, 44. Yeah. I mean, that was really cold. People who fought in the Ardennes at the Battle of the Bulge, they they experienced <laughs> real, real cold. And I mean, look, the, the, you, you should also not discount the fact that, that the mainstream media is just lies. For example, I think only today, or yesterday, my my paper was telling me not that I read it; I just glance at the stories occasionally. My paper was telling me that global warming was causing flowers to flower uh, a month early. Well, actually, it's just <laughs> that can't be true. Not, it's the sun. Not true. <laughs> right. the, 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 fla- the the snowdrops in in my part of the world are flowering about a month late. So, who do you believe, your lying eyes or the or the scientific experts who are telling you stuff? <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> to cut a long story short, this was this was the beginning of my my dawning realization that the stuff we were told by the experts, by the people who supposedly had our best interests at heart, just wasn't wasn't true. So then then you then you start asking yourself, well, why would these people lie to us? And it, I mean, it, it's. I've come to the conclusion that that it's it's partly about money, you know, rent seeking, just yeah. people profiting by the subsidies. Because after all, if you, I hate to use the word invest because it's not really investment. Right. If if you if you're one of the one of the the, the the plutocrats who benefits from the the solar industry, I mean, how much did that guy get from from uh, Obama? It was I think it was five hundred million. million. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think it was half a billion. Yeah, it was half a billion exactly, um, and what, you know, nice work if you if you give money to, to the Obama uh, campaign. We don't um, even know his name. Like, no, no, it, no exactly. big deal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and who cares about taxpayers anyway? Um, so partly it's about money, but 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 I realise now it's also about power and control. And I wasn't really aware when I when I researched watermelons of the um i wasn't really aware at the time about the technocratic movement about technocracy um about, about you know the the stuff that um Zbigniew, uh how do you pronounce his name is Zbigniew Brzezinski oh, uh yes big Zbigniew yeah Zbigniew Brzezinski yeah and 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 David Rockefeller they were obsessed with technocracy you know we, we can see the people like Elon Musk are carrying this this thing forward but ultimately when you force the, the population to use this expensive um form of energy which which um is only is is dependent on on government fiat. I mean, you know, there wouldn't be a single wind turbine or or solar farm if it weren't for the massive subsidies, which are right. which are taken forcibly from taxpayers' pockets because the government says so. Um, 
yeah, where was I? So, so, so yeah. it is it is a form of control. It's it's denying people the cheap energy that they reliable energy they need to to get on with their lives, to heat their homes, or to have air conditioning in in cold weather. The powers that be want to take this stuff away from you and make you use their shitty, expensive energy because they hate you and because they want to control you. Yeah. So that was the beginning of my of my awakening. And then more recently, um, I think that what really changed my understanding of the world was looking at the 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 stolen election. I I was convinced not not unreasonably that trump was going to win a second term in office because he probably was the most popular american president in history and whether you know i, I mean i've got my reservations about him now but he was definitely a sight more popular and attractive than the incontinent um <laughs> ccp controlled uh, uh senile fool that no one had ever loved biden there was no who, who didn't even go on the campaign trail there was no way that guy could could have won the election without cheating which is of course what he did and it wasn't just the it wasn't just the the flagrant cheating which really shocked me it was when i realized that the checks and balances all those wonderful things that that, that I've been I'd learned at school that made America the envy of the world. And gosh, gosh, haven't they done well since they 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 quit from the from George the Third and, and and yeah yeah this was the kind of the new Anglosphere Empire and 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 but but kind of better than the British Empire. And I was looking at your Supreme Court. And I was thinking, hang on a second. There's the thing about Justice Roberts, um, his flights to Pedo Island, um, if I'm not not mistaken. And I'm thinking, all these these supposedly conservative judges that 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 Trump, uh, at great personal cost, has managed to somehow squeeze into the into the the system, don't seem to be doing their jobs. They seem to be doing Biden's job. They're refusing to even listen to this stuff. None of the states seem to be doing their job either because where were the recounts? And January 6th kept the legislature from doing the job. So I actually did a lot of work every single week. I interviewed Garland Favrito, who was doing the Georgia lawsuits to get recounts on clearly questionable ballots. And we were waiting at the edge of our seat from we expected from January 6th to January 9th that in the legislature, they would be talking about problems with the electoral certification and then maybe trigger maybe a two week investigation to try to get to the bottom of it. And then January 6th happened and Mitch McConnell comes in. And it's like, I'm outraged. Let's just let's just concede. <laughs> it was like, yeah. what? No. So that was a total, it seemed to me, a setup for that. So 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 all this stuff. It, it it really upset me because it caused me to question the foundation of everything I believed about the world, that America isn't the leader of the free world, is actually as corrupt as any banana republic, that the checks and balances don't work, that there really is, <laughs> that the, the swamp is much deeper and wider than anything that, that, that Donald Trump acknowledged or was, was capable of dealing with. Now, at this point, you you go from being red pilled. I thought I was pretty red pilled to going black pilled. You start thinking, well, what is the point of anything? And then there's another stage beyond that where you take the white pill and you realize that actually, however shit things are going to get, ultimately 
God's got a plan and it's and it's things are going to work out. And that's where I am now. Well, lot there's a lot there. I um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the I wanted to get to the to that white pill thing at the end, but let's let's start there. Mm. When when I think about the hope, so I used to have a radio show and when Obama was in office, everybody would mm. call and talk about the constitution and Obama like doesn't follow it. And then when Trump was in office, they would call and say that I was quibbling about semantics and the constitution didn't need to be followed exactly, you know, because Trump was in office. Yeah. And then I started to kind of lose hope that there would be any you know, I feel like the people who thought that they would be holding the muskets and the revolution actually would not be that they were they were reds like they were uh, there has been oh, oh Monica, the, 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 there has been so much disappointment so many of my so many of my comrades i i, I like to imagine myself you know, going back to the bastoin analogy i'm with um i'm with with uh, the american troops surrounded by germans and the guys that i thought would be in the foxholes next to me, fighting the fight, have just abandoned their positions and just they're negotiating out. to switch sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People look particularly. My beef is particularly with supposed conservative and libertarian commentators, who, for as long as I can remember, have been banging on about freedom and free markets and limited government, and suddenly face with the most tyrannical takeover anyone has experienced on, on, on this scale, on a global scale for the first time, because it hasn't been possible before. Right. And crickets, they just, yeah. they, and, they want to talk about other stuff, which is, oh, they want to talk about the culture wars. They want to talk right. about pronouns. Look, I'm not saying that, you know, pronouns aren't stupid. But what I am saying is there are bigger things to worry about and, and, and more important issues on which the, where you've got to lay your neck on the line. If Hillary had been in the White House and an emergency order came down from the federal government that justified the lockdowns from state to state, there would have been four million long guns on the mall in D.C. And I mean, Trump allowed that to happen. It, it, he kept he chilled the resistance at that point. And he also brought identity politics to the right. So it used to be on the left and then we just ignored it. And then but all of a sudden he brought it to the right. And now it's the main topic when, you know, so I, I, I always have my suspicions about Trump because I didn't think anything could be real. But then I think we kind of saw some of the things that he that he allowed to that because of him happened in such a way. I yeah I in a way I think it's a fruitless discussion um just trying to decide whether Trump is a a white hat or a black hat whether yeah. he's controlled opposition or whether he's not look he's he's clearly done some dubious things particularly I think relating to his uh, to to the so-called vaccine which isn't a vaccine you know with the experimental gene therapy which he wants to claim credit for well why would you want to claim credit <laughs> for something that is that warp is, speed is, is the problem probably killing more people <laughs> right. than than this 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 covid-19 sure. or whatever it is than the bioweapon itself than the bioweapon <laughs> itself so I can see that but I think what one then gets bogged down into kind in 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 political arguments and speculation. You, you, in fact, on your list of things you wanted to talk to me about was how can you know 
who is controlled yes. opposition, who's not. Yes. The guy, you know, when I'm when I'm choosing my podcast guests, you know, do I do I vet them? Do I do? No, I don't. I think it's kind of up to us to use our discernment to look at this guy or girl and go, do I do I trust them? And if I don't trust them totally, are they saying any stuff that I think makes sense? And if they are, then I will absorb that and take it on board yeah. and I'll just discount the rubbish. Because I've had people on my podcast who are just with hindsight, I just yeah. kind of, they were a bit of an embarrassment. But <laughs> if you're going to be doing podcasts regularly, you can't be in the business of having to sub Sub subject everyone to a kind of lie detector test and you know a kind of anal probe before you <laughs> before yeah. you have them all and i always say that i get more out of limited hangouts than they get out of me because i have discernment which i used yeah. to call truth dar until i realized it's just discernment there's a word for it yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but uh because that's what they're there for they're there because there isn't total control they're there because people do have some kind of standards of critical thinking and you and the limited hangout sets up things that make sense and then slides in stuff that's a little sketchy and if you hone your discernment if you get experienced at it you can do that and i have also found that you can actually in real time when you're talking to somebody who you end up thinking is controlled opposition or limited hangout you don't even have to kind of slap them around you can just ask them a couple of questions that they're not really going to be able to answer. And then your listeners can, you kind of given them a little bit of a, of a leg up on exercising their own discernment. Well, it's so hard, isn't it? Like, like this, this, I'm thinking about Novak, Novak Djokovic, yeah. for example. Yeah. Now, there the, the, the are two Novaks. schools of thought, um, yeah, on, 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 uh, in our community, as it were. Uh, one is that Novak Djokovic is a hero because he wouldn't take the death jab and he stood up and it cost him his place in the Australian Open and otherwise he could have competed and he could have beat Rafael Nadal and, and, and so on. And Broken it's great record. having a top international sportsman who who clearly doesn't believe in Big Pharma and, and yada, yada, yada. Then you've got the counter argument, which is, hang on a second, this guy is deeply embedded in the World um, Economic Forum <laughs> and in their educational programs. And he seems to be enrolled in this in this dubious, um, there's another kind of medical technology which he's promoting, he seems to be. And, and now his, his biographer or somebody is saying that actually he's ready to take the vax. You yeah. don't know. Because it wasn't believe. worth it. Yeah. Resistance was futile. So, but but then, then but then you say, well, hang on a second. Well, maybe even if he is control opposition, that maybe his stance against the vax has been helpful. It's yeah, you're right. Yes, it's a and, hall of and, mirrors. And I always think of if they if they have to give you those kind of people, if they have to give you a big like, here's a prominent person who has a valid argument against the vax, if they have to do that, then what they're really doing is trying to reach people who think that way, which means there are enough people who think that way that they need to address it. They cannot ignore it. And that in itself is hopeful. Look, I think I, before, before I came on, and I don't know why I'm bringing this up, except it was a thought that came into my head. Did you ever see that um, one gets to see so many things in our job, doesn't one? You, you, yes. you get sent these snippets. Have you seen yes. this? And I can't keep up. But there was a guy who was involved in some kind of deep intelligence operation where they'd 
fed into the computer uh, this information. Um, they'd sort of wargamed the the, the 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 sort of the cabal's plan versus the reaction of the people, and that the computer dis- concluded that there was no way that the bad guys could win this one. Did you, did, you, did you ever see that one? I did not see that. It's quite a good one. But have you seen the 2017? Like we yeah, we, we win, but I don't know. It depends on how they think that we could win, which I wanted to ask you. But have you have you seen the 2017 Spars document where Johns Hopkins and some basically former CIA guys scenarioed out how to deal with the propaganda in the case of a pandemic. It was 2017 and it's like a script. It's like 25 things. Like what if there's a giant blackout just as you're rolling out the vaccine in a place that doesn't usually get a blackout? How do you perpetuate the vaccine message, which was exactly what happened in Texas? They said, what if the president comes out against a therapeutic? Will that get the opposition party to embrace the therapeutic, which is what happened with with Trump and hydroxychloroquine, basically, or the opposite. What you're saying is these guys have thought of every eventuality. Yes, and I think because they, and it's, and because one of this big scenario, the last scenario they ran was how to deal with the propaganda. I feel like all of the propaganda, like I don't have to debate whether Trump is a white hat or a black hat because he became president. So clearly he was either controlled or controllable. There's no question. And the same thing with the media. There's like absolutely nothing that gets into the media at this point, at the mainstream media, in my opinion, that isn't there for a reason. Whether it's true or false or fabricated or organic, it's there to serve the agenda. And thinking about it like there's a mass movement possible, I find that, you know, any time that there gets to be any momentum, I think it gets infiltrated. Yeah. Well, if you start to think too much about this stuff, you start thinking, well, maybe maybe we're both controlled opposition. I don't know, know it. How do we how can we even well, trust ourselves? Well, well, because you can you can really because we, we we're smart and we can think that stuff through. And and like with every person I've ever come out on the side of being like, yeah, that's not right. There's always a place where you're like, that was kind of weird. That person said that or did that or this was the impact. That was kind of weird. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. But if another weird, like Eric Clapton, I was like, "Mm, is he, what's the story with this? Is he, you know, what I think about Novak Djokovic. And then it turns out, seems to me, Eric Clapton was completely on the level. Like he got injured and now they're silencing him. And that's exactly, you know, never hear about him. So that's, to me, proof is in the pudding there. But I think you can see it. It's, It's hard, isn't it? Like I've been very heartened by the Canadian truckers protest. But, and I think we should take this as a win because I think, yeah. I think what I, I read a piece about this. I've, I've just started writing for um, locals and Substack, trying trying to yes. write more, more pieces. Um, and I did a sort of analysis of why the Canadian truck protests matter. And I think that you compare them with, there've been lots of street demos in cities all around the world. But the the problem that they've had is that a lot of kind of normal people look at these demonstrators with their amusing placards, you know, (laughs) and they think, well, I would join them, but they're saying they don't like 5G. And I think 5G is is really great and it's the future or, or... they don't like vaccines and i'm and i'm you know i've i vaccinated all my children and i believe in uh, i've been fed the story about you know louis 
Pasteur and, oh and, and well, I mean, Edward Jenner and stuff. Um, but the, they look at the truckers and they go, well, truckers, they are, they're independent minded, they're working class, they are, you know, they provide us with food and supplies and stuff. And they think, well, these guys couldn't be wrong. So I think it's been a, been a, been very good at, at, at kind of shifting the narrative in our direction. But at the same time, there are people who are saying, yeah, it's another psyop because um, actually what they're doing is sowing the seeds for the breakdown in the supply chain, um, you know, food shortages and stuff, which will be blamed on these these crazy anti-vax, dangerous fascist truckers. I mean, do, do, there's an do, answer for everything, right? I mean, that's the problem is that I think the propagandists do have an answer for everything. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not. I was really going for a white pill. No. I really am. But I feel like the there's a couple of different ways to get to that white pill. One is that, you know, you could just think of it from an individual basis. Like we're here to answer for whether we withstood the temptation to vote for the for evil, even if it was the lesser of two evils. I always think that like you, you have to go and answer for yourself in the afterlife. And there are a lot of temptations to sacrifice your principles in order to save the world. But are we here to save the world is the problem is the message we're getting that <clears throat> we began to love the world too much. And then but I'm a little ignorant on my Bible and stuff, you've talked about the apocalypse as an awakening. And I feel like the remnant is becoming self-aware. You know, maybe there's a, a bigger picture that connects that my vision of the afterworld with a purpose here that you can fill in or speculate yeah. about. So um, I think it doesn't really, to understand the world and to understand the kind of the nature of the world, you can, you can look at it from a, a, a Christian perspective, or you can look at it from a complete union. You, know, you can strip all of that out of it. It, it amounts to the same thing. So, yes. I was I was on a march with um, a guy called James Fox, who was a very successful actor, um, and his son is an activist as well. I mean, he was he, in the late sixties. He was Britain's most successful movie star. He was in a film with Mick Jagger called Performance and stuff. And that actually that sort of pretty much put him off acting. He, it was <laughs> the director, I think, dabbled in Satanism. It was, it, was a, it was a really weird experience that he had. And he just kind of – anyway, um, I had just watched that video. I don't know whether you saw it by Altian Childs, um, who was a, an, X, an Australian X Factor winner. And it was about all the kind of the the evils of the of the music industry and stuff. And I I said to James Fox, you know, when you were when you were in um in 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 the the moving industry, did you see any of this this bad bad stuff? And he said, it's really not limited to the entertainment industry. This is the nature of the world. The, the world is, is a place where people are um, prone to temptation. Now you can, you can, you can look at it from, a, from a, the, the, the Christian perspective, which, which is, that, is that the world is essentially the realm of, the, of Satan. Or you can just look at it from a kind of a, a completely non-religious perspective and say, look, in every job, in order to get on, you have to make these compromises 
to sort of sacrifice your sort of moral principles in order to, to you, know, you, you look at look at the things that they're required to do. Say you went in, say say when I, I left university, and I'd gone into finance, and I would I I I would have gone in probably thinking this is a great way of having a really good starting salary and a good pension scheme, and I'll, and I'll, I'll have my first Ferrari by the time I'm twenty five, and won't it be cool? And you know be drinking in city bars and stuff and that that's all i would have thought about i think that's all most people think about when they go into these jobs i did that and, i became an investment banker and drank martinis at the bull and bear and no ferrari because so, uh, i lived in manhattan but yeah it was great <laughs> okay so so well then i can talk to you about this stuff so so you'll understand what i'm talking about when i'm saying that you know one of my friends who the contemporary who went into it probably not as bright as me um he went into it and he ended up having to create uh, collateralized debt obligations. You know, so they're constantly inventing these new vehicles to sell basically pieces of dog shit, to, to roll them in glitter, wrap them in, in, in pink ribbon and, and sell them on to something as, as, as like a, a chunk of gold. It's, yeah. Pension it, funds and actually 401ks, which replaced pensions here, is the dumb money. And it's so much like people who don't know what they're doing. I feel so bad. Well, it's like the, the, you know, you, have you seen the big short, which I, I think yes. is, is, is just just classic. And you think think Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and all these these yeah. people who should never have had mortgages um, were, yes. were being given mortgages by this. That system. was policy. It, that was government policy. Government policy. Ex exactly. So what I'm saying is that anyone with a kind of moral core would have looked at this stuff had they been working in the city and said, well, hang on a second. This is just wrong. It's it's wrong morally because we are we are creating this product, which is self-evidently bad. And we're pretending it's good. We are lying. And that's not right. And then they would also have said to themselves, um, we are setting store for future. We, 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 are, we are creating future ruin. We're, we're going to reap the whirlwind in, uh, eventually. It's going to involve in a catastrophic crash, which is going to damage people's livelihood. It's going to destroy their businesses. It's going to, people are going to commit suicide. But nobody said this stuff. Well, because, have, they, because why? Well, because they, because they were, because that's how the rules of, of, of the world work. We're all yeah. desperate to get up the ladder. Well, there's two yeah. things. So, so I actually, or my sister coined a phrase, the ethical glass ceiling, so that when what you're doing, you start asking, like, am I doing good? I'm doing right. You have the self-image that, I mean, I don't go for psychology too much, but you think you, you have to kind of live with yourself and you stop asking the questions when you start getting no for an answer. So like, is this fine? Yes. Um, but what about this? Nah, don't worry about that. So that's your ethical glass ceiling. And then also when I was in banking, I remember raising a couple of minor objections to this or that, airbrushing a photo or something. And my boss said, you, it's, it's kind of like what my father would say about Catholicism. You are not capable of making that judgment call. We have an entire fleet of lawyers and there are a raft of laws and your job is to follow those laws according to the lawyers. You could be wrong. Like, this is what people expect, your fiduciary right. duty, right? So, yeah, and you have to do that. So the really love, the only I thing you could that. do is quit. <laughs> you know? I love that, Monica. The, the idea that, don't worry, the lawyers have got your back. I love the idea that, that lawyers are arbiters of morality. <laughs> yes, well, that's what they said. And but But part of that is believing in the system. Yeah, yeah. So, 
so if you like you used to believe in the system, like in in laws, right? I mean, you said like and I I think actually Americans are more skeptical about our politicians and our laws and stuff. But but if they tell you and I mean, that just helps you with your ethical glass ceiling. I think what it does is it enables people to lie to themselves because okay right so you get one of you get one of these jobs and you're required to do these terrible things but what you say to yourself and this is a bit like this has been with us a long time have you read dostoevsky's crime and punishment yes absolutely um so okay so so, i love the russians i actually had a tolstoy quote for you (laughs) okay well you could find me the the tolstoy quote in a minute (laughs) so i've I've really got into dostoevsky recently and, and i recommend him highly to to all your lovely listeners um he's not he's not heavy going like he's cracked up to be i mean the, the, there's a sort of people say oh dostoevsky well, it depends so on the translation who what translation are you reading oh I don't know. You, you, but possibly there is a variation with translations but i think but i think he's i think i don't know i think i think the the character of the novel shines through regardless of what the anyway so spoiler alert if you know if you don't, if you don't want to know what happens <laughs> in crime and punishment list, don't listen to the next bit just fast forward but the hero the hero or anti-hero, he bludgeons to death with an axe these two women. Now, that, I mean, that's about as horrible a crime as you could possibly commit. But he justifies it, it to himself on the grounds that um, it's a bit like Napoleon. Napoleon, in order to in order to become the kind of the great imperial leader and reviver of France that he that he became, it, maybe in the early stages of of his career he had to do bad things, but ultimately the greater good would come of this. And in the same way, uh, obviously we're not all Raskolnikov killing people with an axe, but we all do things to get on in our business, and we say to ourselves, "Yeah, but it's okay." A because the team of lawyers say it's say what we're doing is legal, <laughs> even though we're, we're, in our, our consciousness it's not. But B, the things I can achieve with my money, I can make my yes. wife really happy and marriage is really important. And I can give my children a really good education and maybe even spare them the need to have to do all this filthy stuff. Or they'll save been... the world. Now, I never fell in for that kind of thinking. I would never yeah. do that. But yeah. but the, the idea that you had a fiduciary duty to follow the laws and a fiduciary duty to the shareholders that you should maximize your position on it comes from an adversarial process. But I totally agree with you. It's I, I actually used to call myself an anarcho-capitalist, but I had to just abandon that because capital itself has been corrupted so well i'm glad you mentioned that because obviously part of my awakening was when i looked into the history of the creature from jekyll island the the the, the federal reserve once you understand that um the 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 dollar is printed by this private institution which has deliberately devalued the the dollar so that a dollar in 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 19 1913 was probably worth about 99 cents it's probably worth now about 0.0001 cents what what this does is create an environment in which all of us ordinary folk have to work so much harder to just have a a, a, you know, to be able to afford a, a, a property, to be able to right. afford to live, it's it's the already the dice are loaded against us right from the beginning, and what this does is put ourselves in a position where we do have to make these, you, you know, to 
to sail close to the wind in, in how we make yeah, You're going to get the vaccine because you don't have intergenerational wealth that floated as a cork that floated with the inflationary wave. Your wages don't keep up. You're getting the vaccine. I know people who've written to me, their husbands or soldiers or whatever, they have kids. It's like he's taking the bullet for the family by having yes. to go get the vaccine. And and I also feel like you can. um uh, there's, I guess, Austria or Greece or something set up fines for if you don't take the vaccine, which just reminded yes. me of like the feudal lord or whoever who could pay somebody else to do their service. You know, it's highly yes. regressive. I, I don't know what the American education system is like. I'm pretty terrible, I, I imagine, with, with common <laughs> core and, and, and stuff not like good, that. Yeah. But, but I, 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 I was, you know, I had a sort of fairly traditional education and and one of the things you're taught is that all this kind of medieval stuff of 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 serfs being being hideously exploited was something that happened you know in in the middle ages right. and we've got over that now we're living in these kind of liberal democracies and and, and you've got people like um useful idiots like francis fukuyama writing books like the end of history because, <laughs> i know because, because liberal liberal His progress timing was amazing been, <laughs> liberal progress has been so great that we've all become so liberal and and enlightened that we don't really need history you know, it's it's over we're, we're, we've solved it we've we've cracked it i think Mao so said said people can't live like that kind of like the matrix like if you give them that they're they're not going to be able to handle it. You got to give them grief. But but I actually I heard a guy, I think his name was Richard Poe, who said I, I think he was writing how how the U.S. gets all the heat for being like the belligerent. But it's really that we're the we're the like junkyard dog of the underground British empire. So I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I recommend that worldview to you, but his, his like psychological perspective. And again, I really, I, I feel like the, this elite in control, the people who are behind it are so um, like dehumanized at this point. I don't even attribute to them normal psychological I stuff. Think they never like, were. Ne never were human. No. I mean, oh. you know, what, what, I, I don't know how literally I mean that, but yeah, but, how but, literally but, do you but, mean that? But, well, because you, one can only speculate. But I think that the very least you could say is that they are psychopathic. Well, yeah. and, and they certainly don't respect all humanity. See, like I always think that's really like Christ's most most poignant message was the Good Samaritan or the idea of the in group out group being like a, a bad moral position and that a lot, I mean, cause a lot of religions and organizations have that in-group preference, like skull and bones or the Masons, like you have to invite Sorry the in-group. And I think they, they, this elite, we can define it however, but what Richard Poe was saying is that they, they kind of miss those days where only the Lords got to walk around in town and like you were, the peasants were clearly inferior and they, they, they kind of want you to own nothing and be grateful for your little plot of land. And I, I just, I don't, it's, that's foreign thinking to me. I'm like too mathy, but, uh, but it's possible. I just, I just wonder if even also, if they don't, um, how much, how satisfying is it to dominate the animals that you don't even respect 
well, you know, what what is it that's driving them? Well, that's that. I think that's part of their their sickness. They are jaded. They've got everything that they want. You, no, no wonder it's it's it's. There's no there's no struggle there. It's no wonder that they're the way they are. But you know, I, I think one of the things that um, I, I think we tend to overthink about how brilliantly we tend to exaggerate how brilliantly calculating and all powerful they are. I think that they are susceptible. Um, like I'll give you an example. You, you mentioned skull and bones, and we've got an equivalent at Oxford called the Bullingdon Society, which is this club where you wear tailcoats and you cream cream facings on the lapels and you they cost you know thousand pounds to to have tailored and then you have these elaborate dinners where where you destroy restaurants and then then pay the owner in cash to show that you, you behave badly it's a potlatch the american it, indians had something like that called a potlatch right well, yeah yeah and it you just and destroy it's, stuff to prove how rich you are it's it's the yeah it's it's the disgusting ellie and I, I i must admit when i was at university i so wanted to be part of this uh, this you know because it would it would be a sign that i'd made it in the establishment yeah, for sure but actually looking back i'm glad that i i I, I didn't because I wouldn't have enjoyed it because although I, I love the tailcoat, that was magnificent. And, um, <laughs> and maybe, maybe girls would have fancied me more. Uh, the stuff that they actually do is fundamentally quite unpleasant. I don't like getting super, super drunk and then vomiting, which is, which, which you are required to do. I don't like, it, I, I think it's, it, it's a bit horrible destroying, destroying things, you, you know, and then, then flaunting your, your but, it's these rules which require them to behave in a certain way and 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 badly, which train them for their future in a world where they have to uh, accept all these rules that we mentioned earlier about you know you've you've got to overcome your moral conscience and you've got to do this stuff because that's the way things are. I think it, it, it's not. I think that that actually these people are selected early on and groomed for for their roles in in you know ruling the world and ruling over us i think it's more that the system just encourages that behavior do you see what i mean that people sort of yes they create a pool from which to draw yes, that selects exactly. itself as it goes along yeah and and uh, and that, and actually that's the stuff that goes on in front of you there's stuff that goes on that you don't even know about like with skull and bones or whatever that i think sets them up for being vulnerable Compromise, like you said, oh, just well, the, Roberts. The, the, the compromise thing as well is obviously, yep. obviously the case. Yeah. And there was one thing that I've heard you say. A lot of people have said this about. I I don't know if you use the term, but revelation of the method, whereby why do they reveal these things to us in advance? It's because somehow some moral code makes them slap you in the face with it, so that you can either stand up or you deserve what you get. Yes, this is this is one of the things I've discovered. It. It's the yeah. it, it's the rule of the vampire um, that in order to be to enter your house, the vampire cannot enter your house unless you give it permission. You can only the vampire can only en enter the house if you invite it across your threshold. And I don't know whether where, where Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, got this idea. Whether it even comes from Bram Stoker, or whether it was much earlier, whether it's from kind of you know sort of oh, Romanian yeah. Yeah. folklore, 
but there the does appear to be, and, and I've heard people who've, um, you know, spoken to people who are members of these elites uh, who've confirmed that this is so, that there is this weird sort of inverted karmic morality where they think that so long as they tell us what they're going to do through through the medium of of movies revelatory movies or whatever then it's somehow okay it it, it somehow makes it makes it permissible and that they're not going to get any comeback there are two practical elements to it. It's can't. It's not, maybe not just that it's a moral thing, but and I actually think I heard you refer to this, is that and, and I add to it that it is incapacitating to the victim because the consent makes you feel guilty. And like I've had, I, when I used to work, I, I would have the occasion of being sexually harassed. They would give you a hard time, you know. They'd be all nice to you, and then you'd be nice to them, and then they would do something gross, and you'd be like, eh, and they would say, well. Well, then why were you so nice to me? And it's like, well, it's just etiquette to say, you know, I don't know, you're my boss. Yeah. Like, but, but as a kid, you know, young person, when you wanted to join that club and I was, you know, a young banker, I, I would just feel like, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I swear I'm so fucking stupid. And now I can't say anything now, you know, it would get way worse before it got better. Yeah. And that could be an element of that. And then a, another thing might be that, because they are playing those games with their peers. I think it's I think that there's something to the being a peer, not not like the peerage, but like a peer that that's where you get your respect is by pleasing them. And if you can if you can state what you're going to do and then do it, you can claim credit for it. I said I was going to do it like when Klaus and Eventua one get together and it's like I told you belarus you know i told you i was going to do this and i did it and you better wake up or or you tell somebody in africa like look what happened to that tanzanian guy or you tell poland look what happened to belarus oh yes president poor old president magafulu yeah he's not the only one the first thing i i looked at when i saw moise was assassinated in haiti was what was the vaccination rate in haiti and it was zero yeah go figure <laughs> i think they've been about five haven't they it's yeah. Oh, there's oh, there's a research paper on why did so many African leaders die and, you know, of COVID and even in places where there was no COVID. Like, it's like, well, <laughs> may, may I speculate? Uh, so I do think that there's something a little bit more to that revelation of the method than simply some occult morality. I think there's a practical element to it to get the sanction of the victim, to use a Ayn Rand expression. Yeah. And and also to demonstrate to their, you know, to really show that they're one of the, you know, in the pool. But also to to prepare us to to prepare us for accepting um, our fate. I mean, have you seen Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One? I can't bring yeah. myself to watch it. Well, yeah, it, but, but it's it's designed to make you go look. There's this crazy new world where you're, you're living in the virtual world, and you can have all these amazing battles and stuff, and do this cool shit. And 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 there's a a pot of gold at the end of it if you if you get it right. And and you know it's it's all there. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, they do they do reveal it. You're right. That's right. It is predictive programming. Does like I feel like it carves pathways for you to. So they're already set up. So then when it happens, it feels like a memory almost. It feels like something that you're comfortable with because you've you've experienced it before. It doesn't shock you into what the fuck is that? 
Yeah. You know, it's not a tiger in the tree. It's it's some, you know, it's just whatever cat walking by. So say, I yes. Sorry. No, I'm I'm worried about your time, so I have a couple. Of oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Did you want to ask me something? I, I I don't want to kind of um. No, we're good. You. I just had a little ending things, but finish what you were saying if you can remember. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was a I was a massive Bowie fan, um, but what what's what hap- What's happening is has happened on a kind of over a period of decades, if not if not centuries. So so it's arguable that I've heard it argued anyway that that. Bowie's experiments with androgyny were a sort of the precursor to this this crazy culture we live in now, yeah. where you know him, her, she, it, was, uh, or whatever. Where where we, you know? <laughs> Actually, they, I could accept all of that, but when they start using they as a singular, I just I can't I can't handle it. Well, I tell you what, it reminds me of it. It, it reminds me of um, they call us legion because we are many. <laughs> It's um, you know, the the the, the character the, who gets possessed by demons in the the New Testament. The, oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Oh nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that didn't make it easier for me to handle. <laughs> yeah yeah. So, in conclusion, I have one question for you. Oh yeah. Cage diving with great white sharks, mm-hmm. or fox hunting. Oh, it's got to be the second one. Yeah. That is, the, it, obviously. Do you know? The, 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 I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, I've always, for most of my life, I've had this terrible hang-up about not being as brave as you're supposed to be as a man. And I realize I'm very unusual here because I, I look at the bunch of cucks and wusses surrounding me. <laughs> most, most of the male species seem to have given up on being, right. being men. They've completely forgotten what it is. Define and even though, yeah. even though I'm not, as you can see, Mr. Muscle, I'm, I'm, and, and I've never done anything, anything really brave like go and fight in Afghanistan or whatever. Or but Ukraine. Same, Don't you have Ukraine yeah, well, got, on your yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I'm still laughing I've, at that. I have always had this compulsion to test myself doing so. So yeah, my greatest fear used to be being eaten by a great white shark. Well, or maybe actually, no, I think, you know, I think um, bull sharks and tiger sharks are worse than great whites. I looked up that horrible wreck off of South Africa that you referred to, like the belling thing. The Birkenhead. What the, Birkenhead. the hell? I could, oh, ah. <laughs> that's got to be, that's got to be, that's an even worse story, I'd say, than the USS Indianapolis, which oh was my the ship God, that, that got torpedoed and, and, and in Jaws. I read that book. It. You know, the captain killed himself 30 years later because he was getting hate mail on every Christmas still of the Indianapolis, who was correct. Ugh, that's a long story. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about right. that another time. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> well, people should look up the the, the Birkenhead because yeah. it's the origins of the Birkenhead drill, which is women and children first. So the women and children got yeah. saved by the sharks, but all the men and their horses got men. easy. Um, so, so <laughs> you got to love did, men. So I went down in a cage diving in the place where the Birkenhead went down and they all got eaten by sharks. And the sharks came up to my, to the cage and it was like, it was so like one of those documentaries um, on, you know, whatever it's called. Uh, it was like VR. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was it, the, okay. So there was a shark so close to me, a great white shark that I could, I could have touched it. Um, and I thought, well, 
you know, my work is done. And it sort of, it sort of kind of cured me of my shark fear. But, but wow. the other thing that you mentioned. That's not healthy. Fear sharks. It, oh, no, I, 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 don't <laughs> worry. Don't worry. I mean, I, I, I'm just not it, not it, but sitting in my, my living You're not waking my up office, at night. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm not feeling... In the next 10 minutes, I'm not going to be got by a shark. I can just tell <laughs> right. because the, the circumstances are not propitious for that kind of right. thing. But um, fox hunting, I, I just like, there's something about, I, I, I get a lot of grief from this for some of my fans. They say, oh, oh, we thought you were a nice person, but how can you be a nice per- person when you go hunting foxes? Well, I mean, I've never seen a fox killed, um, but I do know that wearing fancy kit and riding across the English countryside, the beautiful English countryside yes. on a horse, which uh, horses are magnificent. Like, if, 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 imagine if horses didn't exist and somebody said to you, uh, there's this really crazy creature I've invented, which is many times more powerful than a man. It's got four legs and it will do anything you want to do. It'll, you can sit on its back and it will jump over hedges and gallop really fast across the countryside and it will love this stuff as much as you do and you can be its companion and, if it respects and, you and it was re- yeah well if yeah, it obviously. respects you yeah I, they break your bones they break your heart yeah you're right they, they can it can go horribly wrong but i just every time i get on a horse i think wow this this beast wants to do all the same cool shit that i want to do and it loves it. And we're, we're as one. We're, we're, okay, so we all love our dogs and our cats maybe. But it's like the bond you have with a horse. And then you're with a bunch of other people all wearing the same kit. You know, really cool kit. And the girls are looking really sexy and they've got their hair nets and their, you know, uh, and, and, and you're chugging at slow gin and cherry brandy and stuff like this. After and then you before, I hope. Yeah, I, I hear that American hunts are quite wussy about this. They have a sort of, oh, yeah. we're Americans. We can't drink. Health and, and safety. Shoot. Can't drink oh, well, and shoot. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think maybe that makes more sense actually. <laughs> I I think with guns, you with when you're on a horse, you need Dutch courage because yeah. some people are so nervous at the beginning of yeah, the Yeah, to relax, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. They vomit with fear sometimes. Yeah. It's, wow. it's, it's it's that nerve wracking. But when when you go out shooting, it doesn't really re- require that much. I mean, maybe maybe you're going after wild boar. But I think generally, if you're just shooting kind of duck or <laughs> grouse or, or pheasant, it doesn't really require raw courage to do it. You don't right. need to have a, a drink to, to stiffen <laughs> to your sinews and summon up the blood. Um, so I think that's reasonable. But, but I, I would have thought with, 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 when you're riding a horse over uneven country, you, you want a bit of a, a drink to loosen you up, you know, and, and help you. Anyway, it, I can highly recommend it. It's, it's But it it's, makes it's me a little jealous because it's so completely outside the possibility of an ordinary person to afford it, to master it, to have access to it. It yeah. just... You know, it just that, that's it, the thing. Nature well, seems to be increasingly the reserve of the like ultra elite. It, it used to be said that being born English is to have won the lottery in life. And I know that you Americans sometimes think that that you're the lottery winners, but actually <sighs> we work too do, hard. Do, do, yeah. But but I, I'll, I'll correct you on one point. When you go out hunting, a lot of the people are ordinary people. I mean, I, I've met nurses. You know, people people with really not very much money. You get sort of farm really? workers and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely." It's not. Oh. It's okay. So it used to be the the pastime of the elite, but it's not 
it's not a, a prerequisite. And there's and the the people that you meet are very. There's no snobbery. I, I've wow. never encountered snobbery. I mean, it's it's and it's it's one of the very few sports where girls and boys can compete on absolutely equal terms which is great wow. as well Ooh, so I you're love all, that. yeah so you're all in it it's like a cross between a rave and a um well it's just <laughs> it's just too know. exciting and, be, and waking a, up and getting yeah. the scales pulled from your eyes yeah, so yeah. well if they ever let the filthy unvaxxed into London, then maybe mm. I will I will go and spend some time there in an early retirement. But uh, I could talk to you forever. I'd love to buy your drink and sit by in a in a, we in should, a red we'll, leather we'll chair again. by a fire. But Let's I had, do it again. I want to tell people where to find you. And I I one thing that you say you're ordinary, but you really had or maybe came from an ordinary background. I, you're not you don't have any false modesty about your abilities, your talents. You also bring a tremendous amount of experience and skill to the craft. And I, it makes me think of you as like the Freddie Mercury of podcasting because he was just so well trained and so talented. And and there he was bringing this to bear in a genre that, you know, um, people will misunderstand if I say it's like vulgar, but like a popular genre like podcasting, which is why you probably do have the world's greatest podcast. And so I just wanted to thank you for bringing those efforts to us. We appreciate them. And tell people how you can be found, which is you, you're really spreading yourself thin, buddy. You're on Subscribe Star, Patreon, Rumble, Substack, Telegram, and you have a website, Delling Poll world.com where people can find i think they can find the delling pod basically on any podcasting platform is there anything else that yeah you want I've, I've, to know I've just started branching out onto local locals i think oh be, we have be, a locals channel yeah i think locals could be Excellent. good and subscribe uh, uh sorry and um substack the, 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 the i think the reason is that a we they're, they're all nice community sites but b we know that that, that big tech is trying to close off all avenues yeah. to making a money that they, they, they want to demonetize us and and deplatform us so you you don't know quite who is going to right. go crazy next and who is going to let you carry on doing the stuff so i think it's you know keep your or be sabotaged open. you know i worry a little yeah. bit about sabotage like that you have a platform an upstart platform that like like novavax like it was the only vaccine that a conventional technology and they simply won't even give it an emergency use authorization because they just don't, you know, they can undermine it from behind the scenes. I think but not that what I we're doing about conventional vaccine either. What way, we're doing is doing is is the future. I mean, there's yeah. there's the, like the the quality. No, my writing, for example, again, no false modesty, is is way better than I read in any of the newspapers now. Oh, they're, yeah. they're all sort of so constrained by and it's fun. You know, it's yeah, entertaining yeah. and informative. I love it. That's what I'm saying. You really, it's clear that you're that you have that, you know, kind of world-class approach to writing and your podcast. And it's just, uh, and it's great because so few people will bring that, you know, to the, to the people. <laughs> you know, it's very democratic. Well, I think we were lucky to live in these times where, <laughs> yeah. where, this where we can, where we can, yes. you know, yes. we, we shouldn't grumble about it. We should be very happy that this is, that, that when they try and constrain us and silence us, actually it's enabled us to be more free. Yes, yes. Actually, I could pick up on that thread, but I won't. I'm going to let you go because it's in the evening. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.